They're like, I want depo because I want to get thick. And they're on depo for like two years. And they're like, I don't understand. I'm not getting any weight. Hi, this is Alice. This is Shafali. And you're listening to Beads at Alice, today we are back for another part of we're our... We're back! We're back with our, our favorite birth control series with Dr. Natalie DeRoso. Yes. Uh, Natalie is finishing her Adolescent Medicine Fellowship at Mount Sinai in New York. She is also a formal advocate through Physicians for Reproductive Health, and she is here to talk to us about long-acting progesterone. Amazing. I can't wait to get started. Let's get to it. The next one on. So the next one is actually it's a three-year implant that goes into your arm. We usually put in your upper forearm. I try to use like the non-dominant arm when I do it. Um, and it's three years, FDA approved for three years, but also like the Mirena, there's been some good studies to show that it can last up to five years, so two additional years of life. So I do always talk to patients, like if you want to keep it off label, because I have a lot of people now coming in, having gotten it in 2017, mm-hmm. that you can keep it off label if you want. And that's also promoted by Planned Parenthood, Reproductive Access Project also mentioned that you can keep it for two additional years, but it is important that they know that that is off label and uh, what the FDA says. So your implant works basically by also thickening cervical mucus, but it also inhibits ovulation. So you may have no ovulation in the first two years. Uh-huh. And it also makes your endometrium very thin and atropic, which is a good thing to keep you from getting pregnant, but causes one of the more annoying side effects, which is the breakthrough bleeding. That's kind of like yes, yeah. infamous with the next one on. Yeah. Annoying to have unpredictable spotting there. Yeah. So the next one on the implant shuts down your cycle, whole body hormone, as opposed to the IUDs, which is really local hormone to the uterus only. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's hard to say that the hormone's not going to go anywhere, you know, like I or that it's going to be someplace in your bloodstream, but IUDs work very locally, which is, makes them great for, you know, dysmenorrhea, endometriosis, because they are right there where the action is at. But yes, your implant goes in your arm and it has to systemically send the hormone level throughout your body. The next one is much easier okay, in okay. terms of insertion. So that is like easy peasy. People also come in worried about fear for that. I think YouTube really does me a big disservice. I should probably do my own YouTube to like counter. Shut up. Your YouTube <laughs> yes. next one on horse. I'm sure oh you should look at the thumbnails look horrible. Everyone's always making this angry face and like pointing <laughs> to their arm. So when I explain the implant, people are usually pretty nervous. I try to one reassure them that it's fine. Mm-hmm. I always start off with this conversation we're having to get consent is actually longer than the next one on placement. Mm-hmm. Like the placement, it takes like seconds. And then I let them know that the device is a small rod-shaped device about the size of a toothpick that's going to go right underneath their skin and their upper arm, which they should be able to feel at all times. Typically, when I'm going to do the procedure, I let them know that I'm going to first measure where it's supposed to be because there are an exact measurement as where you're supposed to put the next month so you can avoid any vessels or nerves. Uh-huh. And then I measure, I clean their arm, of course, to make sure the area is sterile. I put a little lidocaine that actually probably hurts more than the actual putting in the device because, uh-huh. you know, the little lidocaine is a sting and a burn. Uh-huh. And then that's going to be the worst part of the whole procedure. 
And then, you know, I just tend to scan and I insert the device. And then I make sure after I've placed the device that they always feel the device. And so they know exactly where it's located. Mm-hmm. In terms of risks with getting the next one, I do let them know you may experience some bruising. There's always, anytime you get any kind of device, there's a risk of infection, even though we do it thoroughly, but they should always know that's always a possibility and to watch out for that. And then, you know, I talk about migration because people worry that it moves. I mean, honestly, the next one, as long as it's in the right location, it really should not move at all. I think the manufacturer says in three years, it moves like one centimeter max. So I reassure them that it doesn't move, but I also reassure them that if in case at some point in time, they feel like they cannot feel the next one, it does show up an x-ray. Mm. So you can someone's arm and find the next one. And that's pretty much like, you know, with the risk of the procedure. The next one usually results in a longer conversation about the side effects, breakthrough bleeding. Mm -hmm. So we talked about breakthrough bleeding and why, but can you comment on what it's going to do to their monthly period? So it's gone. So I always, I I, I tend to be a little aggressive sometimes with patients (laughs) because I'm Sometimes I don't like listen. Like I just had someone the other day who had a long conversation about their period in Nexplanon and she was like, but I'm waiting for my regular period to come. And I'm like, so that's not going to happen anymore. <laughs> so IUD and an Nexplanon, you should not expect to get a regular period. Okay. If you do, that's great. But for the most part, you're going to have an irregular period because you're constantly getting a small dose of progesterone, which can, for a lot of people, make you amenorrheic. Mm -hmm. And so I say, like, forget the days of, like, counting your period and knowing exactly when it's going to come. That's out the window. In terms of the breakthrough bleeding, it really depends on who it's going to happen to. Not everyone has breakthrough bleeding. Some individuals, they get a next one and they don't have a period for three Mm -hmm. years. Other people, another percentage, you know, sometimes I just say it's like a third is going to have some breakthrough bleeding here and there, and I'm not going to know. And then another third is going to have spotting and they're going to have continual spotting. I let them know that I like to watch your bleeding pattern for the next three to six months, the trial period to see what your bleeding is going to be like. If you're still bleeding at the end of six months, you're probably still going to bleed the whole time you have the device. Mm -hmm. It's also very light. Some people, they worry that the bleeding is going to be heavy. No, it's kind of like your end of your period bleeding where it's spotting. Sometimes you feel like you're bleeding, sometimes you're not. But it is still annoying. Mm-hmm. And I do let them know that we can try to treat the bleeding. I can give you, of course, the pills on top of the next one. Because what happens is sometimes the progesterone only makes your uterine lining so atrophic mm-hmm. that you're just kind of spotting and you need a little estrogen to help stop the spotting. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that does not necessarily work for everyone. And it is a Band-Aid, right? So you can try birth control pills. You can try some Agestin, which also is a pretty powerful progesterone, which helps to stop and stabilize the lining. But once you stop, you can bleed again. Uh I want people to have that knowledge. Sometimes it helps to keep the device in for a little longer. People keep it for like six months longer than they really would have if you can get them to stop bleeding. But it is very frustrating. Yeah, that sounds like it. So one third will get breakthrough bleeding. One third will get like this continuous little bit of spotting. And then one third just get sort of nothing. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a, like a simplified way to say it. I can't think of the exact number off the top of my head. The most accurate statistic is about 20% will go amenorrheic in the end of a year or more. I think it's anywhere between 20 and 50%, but it can be pretty variable. So we've talked about hormonal and non-hormonal IUDs. We've talked about the progesterone implant. Let's talk about Depo. Oh, Depo. (laughs) Depo is not my favorite, but we can always talk about Depo. (laughs) 
Depot's not my favorite, but I have patients who love Depot. Yeah. They will be on Depot forever. They don't want to hear anything else but their Depot. They're like, I just want the shot. It's very popular here. I feel like everyone in our, in our adolescent experience, it's super popular. Yeah. I also find girls want the depot because they want to get thick. And so they think the depot is going to make them heavier. So they want the depot. It's really funny. But to just tell your viewers what depot is, the depot is an injection. It's about 150 milligrams of a depot of medoxy progesterone acetate. And it's placed in your deep muscle of your arm or your butt. And you can get it. It's usually 11 to 13 weeks, but you can extend it out to 15 weeks max. So when a person gets a depot shot, they get a calendar at the end of the visit and it gives them what your range is. Mm-hmm. And luckily the calendar doesn't have, doesn't change by year. It doesn't have days. So it just tells you like, you got depot on the 15th. This is when your next depot shot should be due three months from now. I try to make patients put the date in their phone, mm-hmm. like the whole week in their phone mm-hmm. so that they have an alert all week or the whole two week span. I can get my depot now. And depot works by suppressing ovulation, inhibit LH and FSH charges, it thickens cervical mucus, it also slows tubal endometrial mobility, and it thins the endometrium as well. Okay. Like you guys said, you have a lot of people who are on depot, Mm -hmm. and depot can be used pretty widely, so it's good for people who can't take estrogen. So Mm -hmm. if you have a history of migraines, if you have on estrogen, then depot can be really helpful. That's interesting. Mm Mm-hmm. It's also helpful for like people who have seizure disorders because it helps to increase your threshold for seizures. So it can help decrease the activity of your seizures. Mm -hmm. So might help migraine with aura, might increase your seizure threshold. Not help migraine with aura, right? Might be a good option for people who have migraine with aura. Yeah. Migraine aura is a thromboembolic risk, right? So if you have estrogen, Mm -hmm. that can increase your chances for stroke. So once people tell me they see some little spots before they get a migraine, I'm like, okay, that's out for you. This pill, the boomerang is out the window. Let's start talking about depo. Let's talk about next one. Let's talk about your IUD here. Mm Mm-hmm. I feel like I've heard the rumor a couple times that if you have sickle cell, depot might reduce your frequency of pain crises. Is that something that you talk about or that you practice or do you just sort of? So uh, it's, I don't really talk about it as much because I don't have a lot of sickle cell patients hmm, okay. um, where I am, uh, surprisingly. But it is something to think about. There were some studies that show that it can reduce your acute sickle cell pain crisis by 70%. Oh, wow. And so it is definitely something to think about. I also, you, you know, you, if you think about like, if your pain crisis is associated with your period, Depo is also a good option, right? So Depo, after a year, about like 50% of people have no period. And so anything that's like pain crises, seizures, if you have a history of really heavy bleeding, you've got a von Wilderbrand disease or something like that, or some kind of blood diathesis, then you might want to think about Depo in the long run because it will stop you from bleeding. The only tricky thing about Depo is in the beginning, you might have some heavy bleeding and you might bleed for a while. Uh-huh. Anywhere, like the first cycle, people often will have some bleeding that can be persistent. I usually tell people it takes like two to four cycles to see what your what your bleeding pattern is going to be like. But two to four cycles on Depo, you're talking about that's almost a year. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a little bit amount of time. So irregular bleeding in the first shot is really common. You know, even the second shot, I'll kind of see how things go. Most people by the second shot are, you know, they're kind of under control. But like I said, it can take, you know, it could take anywhere from two to four shots to have no bleeding. Okay. Well, that's interesting. And so it's, it's sort of, it stabilizes the uterine membrane, but it takes a while to do so. Is that, am I thinking about it correctly? 
Well, it makes the lining thinner and it just takes you a little while to kind of get to the point where you're not going to be bleeding. Mm-hmm. And then let's see. I also, I feel like I've also heard some, in terms of risks of Depo, I've also heard some vague things about bone health. Is that something that you think about or consider to be legitimate? So everyone loves to talk about bone health with Depo. And just to say, like, most women should be thinking about their bone health in general, as young women don't talk about it, right? And you're like, until you're like postmenopausal, and you're like, oh my God, I can't fall because I'm going to fracture myself. <laughs> so you need estrogen for bone health. And what can happen is if you're on Depo for a while, you can have like a low estrogen and people are worried about whether or not that will affect your bone density. But studies have shown that the bone density or like the decrease in bone density is actually reversible. And so I think in practice, we don't worry about it so much. There is no recommendation about when people should get DEXA scans or things like that to check on their bone density. We do encourage increasing your calcium, increasing your weight bearing exercise, having a healthy diet to help your bone health and kind of explain that while this might make your bones weak in the interim, once you stop, it should reverse mm-hmm. and have extra issues for like an increased osteoporosis risk. Okay. Oh, that's great. So they sort of get, get the bone density back. Yeah. I mean, I would think if you're worried about bone density, like I think something like anorexia will cause much more long-term yeah. risk of your bone density than Depo actually mm-hmm. will. But the one thing that people also talk about with Depo that I think is important to talk about is weight gain. And that's a pretty valid concern. People are always worried about weight gain with Depo or weight gain in general birth mm-hmm. control. Depo is probably the one of the few birth controls that we can actually say studies show there is possibility for you to gain significant weight. And that can be anywhere between like five to 16 pounds, five pounds in the first year and 16 pounds after four years. Okay. And if you're already overweight when you start Depo, so if you already have a high BMI, you actually will likely gain more significant weight than somebody who's overweight and on a birth control pill. One study showed that you could get up to nine kilos, which is like almost 20 pounds more than somebody who's already overweight and on pills. But if you're thin and you're on Depo and you did like the first year on Depo and you didn't gain any weight, you're unlikely to gain weight as well. Which is why it's very funny. I mentioned before about how I have all these thin girls who are coming in for Depo and they're like, I want Depo because I want to get thick and I want to gain weight. Oh and then and they're on Depo for like two years. And they're like, I don't understand. I'm not getting any weight. The explicit ask. Oh, man. And they just stay thin. Wow. Yes. And then, and then I have the other bothersome situation where I have some young ladies who are much heavier. And then they start Depo and it's like, they're on Depo forever. They're, they're, they, they, they're on Depo and the weight just kind of takes a whole trajectory upwards. Oh my gosh, that's so interesting. That's such a more legitimate risk than I thought it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's actually, if you're overweight and you want Depo, I mean, and you're concerned about your weight, I will have a very real conversation with you about the likelihood of this causing you to gain more weight. Wow. All right. Well, thank you guys for coming on that journey with us as we talked about the long acting progesterone. Mm-hmm. That was a great conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Between Depo and Nexplanon, a lot of similarities mm-hmm. and a lot of differences. Exactly. So we definitely appreciate it, Natalie, for talking to us about this. Mm-hmm. We will, uh, you know how to get in contact with us if you have any thoughts, comments, concerns, Gmail, Twitter, Instagram. Yeah. Pedesadmit at gmail.com mm-hmm. specifically would be, would be great, but otherwise we'll see you next time. <laughs>